Talk with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get it going. We are underway this hour. Happy Friday. It is October 27th, and we're underway this hour on Flames Talk from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. It's a Friday, which means Flames Talk is now the Eric Francis Show and the Eric Francis Hour, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. Live thoroughbred racing is back every Saturday and Sunday at Century Downs Racetrack and Casino. Post time 1245. Visit thehorses.com. Must be 18 plus. Please play responsibly. Franchise. Eric joins us now from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. What do we have to talk about? Is, is there any shortage of things to talk about? Should we just spend the entire hour talking about our outdoor game memories, or is there more to discuss today? I Yeah. I, I mean, I think a week ago we would have thought that we'd just be reminiscing about past outdoor games. I've been to, I don't know, four or five of them. And uh, no, that's uh, that's not on the docket today. There's I Who was it who said it last night, Pat, that, this came a lot quicker than they thought. Do you remember which player said that? Oh, was it Uyghur who said it? Yeah, I, I think thought, it was Uyghur. Yeah. Who, he said, this came a lot quicker than I thought. And I remember when I was driving home from the rink last night and listening to your call-in show, I was, I was kind of pondering that, like, what, he knew that there was going to be a crisis? Or, you know, I mean, every team goes through a bit of a crisis every year. Um, even the Stanley Cup champions often do. Uh, but but I just thought that was a very interesting way of putting it. We knew it would come, but we didn't think it would come this soon. I, I don't know. I, but uh, maybe it'll make them better in the long run. But I know p- most people in the city don't think so. They think this is a this is a significant moment in the history of the Flames. And I'll just remind everyone, you know, having done this for so many years, there's often times when it feels like the sky is falling and uh, there's no there's no end in sight, and it's time to blow up everything. And I've seen it happen a million times around the league. And 90% of the time, it's never as bad as you think it is. I get that people are really freaked out right now, really concerned, because that last night game was really, really boring to watch and troubling for people to kind of digest, you know, what they're going to have to watch all year. It won't be that bad all year. Do you agree with me? (laughs) Well, (laughs) not really. And I say that because just we're eight games into a season, Eric. And listen, I just I, I put this together for the start of this hour. Just listen to what we were hearing. This is just a compilation of some of the things we heard after game eight of a regular season. Just want to apologize to our fans. Playing like shit right now, so it's tough to watch. Everyone needs to take a good look, hard look in the mirror and evaluate their game. Played uh, like shit three games in a row, so, um, you know, it's got to it's gotta change pretty quick. Didn't feel like there was a lot of energy um, from, from our players, a lot of bite, a lot of... Um, pride, so it, it, it was a, it was a, not the effort that certainly we, we were looking for, and uh, it, it's got to get better. I mean, we need to put the the foot on the gas, and everyone needs to to 
to work hard like it's uh, their last game, a game seven, and, and good things will start to happen. So just uh, in, in no particular order, you heard from Nikita Zadorov, Chris Tanev, Elias Lindholm, and assistant coach Dan Lambert all in that little montage. And the reason why, it, and this is, and, and I'm curious as to what your response would be to this, but the reason why it feels like a little more dire than it usually would be, and having done that call-in show for more than a decade now and having gone through a lot of really bad starts to seasons, what what makes this one feel different to me is that this isn't game eight. It feels like game 90. It, it does, like, it's the same group of players doing the same things that sewered them last year, and it feels like frustration is very close to boiling over on this team because I would imagine, I would think... It would almost be impossible as a player inside that room. Does not matter what your paycheck is or how dialed in a professional athlete you are to forget what happened last year. And the same things that hurt them last year are hurting them here. And they're off to a really, really rough start to the year. And so because of that, it does feel a little bit more dire than I would usually be talking about eight games into the season. So I, I, this one does feel a little bit different than other not-so-great starts to the season. See, I, I don't agree that it's the same things that sewered them last year. I, I don't agree with that statement. I, 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 get, I agree with you that it feels exactly like last year. I mean, I think that was the column I wrote after Tuesday's game, and when Blake Coleman was saying, I'm sick of losing, he was not referring just to the previous six games. He was referring to the previous year and a half, right? I mean, he's just sick of it. And... Yes, it feels a lot like Groundhog Day. It feels like there's no hope. It feels like this team is stuck in neutral as it was pretty much all of last season. But they were losing games last year in radically different fashion, I think, than the way they're losing them this year. The sample size is smaller this year. And let's be honest, last night was the first time that we heard the word work at the, the sure, term work ethic. Sure. Last night was the first time that it was just a lack of effort. I think the effort's been there the previous, all the previous games. I just think breakdowns you know them they're just not grasping these new systems the breakdowns are egregious and that is what's costing all their games in my opinion there's the the, the amount of two on ones and three on twos and and one you know breakaways and two on o's that we're seeing against this team far exceeds the rate that we saw last year under daryl sutter and i so i just think it was a much tighter team last year in terms of you know Mackenzie Weger spoke last night of the disconnect, and I think it's the perfect word. The, the defense is not working with the the forwards, and 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 they're they're leaving the goalie high and dry. I mean, the high danger chances that this goaltender is facing are are egregious. He didn't face that like like that last year. And last year, of course, most of the losses were because of goaltending. I was saying on the broadcast last night, like I think Flames fans dream of the night when, you know, Markstrom is as good as he was last night and most nights this year. And the offense and the, and the rest of the players are as good as they were last year when all they really needed last year was that extra save and they would have won so many more games and would have been in the playoffs, but they just couldn't get that save. This year they're getting the save, but everything else is going awry. So I just think it's a hodgepodge of, and it's radically different from the way they're losing in past years. See, the, re the things that, that for me make it feel like last year and the reason why if I'm a fan I can empathize with what you're seeing there's two things. A, 
they're not scoring. And and they yeah. in, in the final 45 games of last year, how many times were we talking about, geez, watching this team generate offense is like watching paint dry. They're on the perimeter, and they're, they're not getting to the inside, and they're not dangerous. Well, they haven't really been dangerous since, I don't know, the, at, at all this year. I mean, I guess they scored five against Winnipeg to open the season, but they have not looked dangerous. And when they have generated chances, I actually think they're doing so at a better rate than they did last year, but they can't finish. And so you, that is all too reminiscent of last year. And the other thing is, and I think this is the biggest reason why there are a lot of um, memories of last year is that it's the same culprits. It's Nazem Kadri making a, a, a soft play on a power play that leads to a breakaway. It's Jonathan Huberto giving pucks up, trying to make a pass. It's it's important players on this team not get. Kadri's got one point. Huberto's got four points, and and so I think with the amount of patience that was being preached last year with these players. And now the same type of hockey is being played, and these guys are still not pulling the productive weight that a lot of people expect, rightfully so, with the contracts they're on. I think those are the reasons why it feels a lot like last year. Fair. You know, th- those are good points. The offense is the Calgary Flames couldn't get that big save last year, but they also couldn't get that 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 extra goal they needed most nights, right? I mean, all those one-goal games and overtime games and – shootouts and goalposts i mean it was it was it was almost comical you know if if it didn't hurt so much for flames fans they would laugh at it yeah uh, but uh yeah you, you know really in a lot of ways we're skirting around the biggest issue facing this team and that's the fact that the guys who need to be scoring and leading this team in so many different ways Art. are absolutely invisible yeah as a matter of fact i go further they're not just invisible they're detrimental to the team. When they do show up, it's with an egregious turnover, like last night with Kadri. I mean, again, I don't think that that normally is that. It looks horrific the way it happened, and he was way too casual with it and and careless. And but oftentimes you get away with that, but not right now. Not right now. Everything's going sideways for this team, and so yeah, it it you know we could skirt around it all we want, but uh, and I know that that's where people direct most of their frustration is Kadri and Huberto, and and rightfully so. This team was carried two years ago by two gentlemen. These two guys have been brought in to replace them and are not even in the same league at this point in time. So that's that's really frustrating for people. What? So then what we talked a lot about last hour with Wes and I and, and definitely talked a little bit about it earlier this week, definitely on Thursday's postgame following the loss to St. Louis. Where does this leave the Flames right now with the decisions they have to make with Elias Lindholm and Noah Hampton? That, 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 and, and, and to a lesser extent with, with Tanev and Zadorov, and I only say to a lesser extent because they're, they're lower-profile names, but I know for me, there's talk about, you know, progress being made on, on a Hannafin extension, and, you know, there's been talk going all the way back to the golf tournament in September that Lindholm's still willing to stay, and... If I'm if I'm the Flames right now, and I've been a big advocate for signing both guys, if I'm Craig Conroy right now, I am I'm pumping the brakes and I'm saying 
let's just ease off a little bit and see what the heck we are and see if the decision becomes a little bit more clear. Because if it continues like this, and I'm not saying they're going to lose six of eight between now and the rest of the season, but if they continue to look like an average team and a team that isn't going to be much better than what they were last year, well, then is the decision not kind of made for you in terms of what to do and what direction to go with these players? Whereas if it goes the other way, maybe it becomes a little bit easier to re-engage on signing long-term extensions. I just don't think now is the time to be making franchise-defining choices or signing franchise-defining contracts. It goes both ways. Like I think it's an excellent point. And as we spoke to Lindholm last night, I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, really? In this guy's mind, you think that he's really going to be like, you know what? Yeah. I, yeah. I know we're a little off on the money, but I'm willing to – I'm willing to go down a lot to stay in this muck, to stay in this scenario where I'm sitting here telling people that we're, we're, and he's using, he's he's cursing and he he's showing his frustration in every possible way, and we think that there's a chance that he's close to signing. So, not only, like a lot of people want it to get it done, there are also people that are also like, why are we signing core pieces to a team that's core is terrible? I get the arguments both ways, but by waiting and showing patience. It is the best move for everyone, really, at this point in time. Everyone should be in a holding pattern because the players need to think to realize if they want to stay and, and stay in this thing. And also the organization, to your point, has to say, you know what, are we really going to get up to $9 million for Elias Lindholm or whatever the number is going to be? And it's just something you needed them to get off to a good start for them to be to them to have any chance I thought to sign either one of those guys. I mean, we all thought there was no chance they were going to sign Hannafin. Right. But I think really up until the last 3 games, people were still feeling pretty good about this team. I know in the room, I was on the road with them, they were still feeling pretty good. They'd spoke about the fact that for the first 4 games they got better in every single one of them. They won game 4 in Buffalo, they felt pretty good about that. They played pretty good in in Washington and just kind of got snake bit and lost in the shootout. So it's just the last three, four games where people are really, really losing their mind. Prior to that is when I think Hannafin was starting to re-engage in talks with them, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's happy to just pull back for now and just wait and see. Everyone needs to pull back and wait and see right now because I think there is a danger, and we saw this with Vancouver, was it last year or the year before, where they were out of the playoff race 20 games in. Yeah. Like they were so far behind the eight ball, they couldn't recover. Calgary Flames lost seven in a row last year, and they still weren't in that situation where they were out of the race. Uh, but let's wait and see. I mean, they're fully capable, I think, the way we see them play, of going seven in a row this time. And they didn't have that early start that was good last yeah. year to fall back on. So, yeah, wait and see is probably the best approach. Do you? Uh, I, I'm I'm curious as to just what your feel on the overall temperature is around the organization too. Like, I mean. We know what fans are saying, and we know how frustrated people are. It, I, I just am. I would imagine with a new management group and a new coaching staff, there's a lot of like, holy, what the hell do we do here? How do we let, let's let's say that you're Ryan Huska right now, and you've taken over as this team's head coach. You don't make the personnel decisions in terms of who's here and who's not. You're just going with this group. If you're if you're Ryan Huska, we've seen it with him trying uh, almost every conceivable permutation of lines co line combinations yeah. so far. Like, what do you do? How 
You need to get you need to get more out of Huberdeau. You need to get more out of Kadri. To a lesser extent, you need to get more out of Lindholm and a few others here. And yet, it's like how? And I I don't I sure as hell don't know the answer. Um, no. And I I I kind of wonder if this coaching staff is a little perplexed as to what the hell to do. Oh, I mean, Huska said this today. He doesn't. What did he say? I don't park things very well. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I I can't imagine. Huska or any of the coaches last night slept very well because you're, you're right. You're asking, what can we possibly do differently? We've put together every line combination possible uh, and it's not working. And then when we do find the odd line that works for a game or two, it's the egregious giveaways at the back end or, or even the up front that, that cost us. It's all you can do is what he says. And it's just so cliche. And he says it over and over is just all we can do is just get up the next day and work even harder, look in the mirror and work even harder. And again, it sounds, I hate using those quotes. I rarely do in a column uh, and I don't even like repeating them, but it's all he can do right now. He has to keep up the faith, but in the, in the deep recesses of his mind, Ryan Huss has got to wonder, Oh my God, like this dream opportunity I'm getting right now. Is this, is this the beginning of the end? Like you can't really let those thoughts creep in. You know, everybody has, concerns about their careers and their futures and all this but i you, you just got to start to wonder geez am i in a in a no-win situation at this point in time it feels that way right now but that's why i kind of opened the hour by saying look right. I, I i really think it's not easy for for me to say this because i but i really believe it like i've been through so many of these where it really feels like oh my god when we show up at the rink tomorrow people are going to be snapping sticks and losing their mind after everybody wakes up the next day, the sun still rises and you get to work and you start anew. That's it's never as bad as you really think it is. Although after the game, when you're taking the temperature of the fan base, I get it. People are hot. They just watched absolute garbage hockey. <laughs> and it wasn't just that the flames were bad. It's just not exciting hockey, right? It's tough to sell this product right now as they are right now. That's all I'm saying. And again, I think it's going to get better. It can't get worse. It really can't. Last night was as beige vanilla as boring a hockey game as I've seen in the Dome in a long time. Mm -hmm. And that is tough to swallow because how many times have you heard in the, Pat in the last 24 hours, oh my God, we're going to see a lot of empty seats this year. People are going to stop watching this. And I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying it's as bad as it gets right now. It really feels that way. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know how to, like, I don't know what the key is to getting more out of Kadri and more out of Huberdeau. I really don't because I don't either. And and that's seventeen and a half million dollars on your cap for the next five seasons after this one. We know that Huberdeau's got the eight years and Kadri's got six years left. So after this, it's it's five years left of Kadri and seven years left of Huberdeau. And like I, you have to figure it out. I just I honestly don't know what to do anymore. Like how do you how do you get more out of these guys? And that might be the only thing that allows the Flames to get back on track and, and allows Ryan Huska to stop pulling out all different types of hair to figure out what line combinations to go with. When those guys start pulling the weight they need to pull on a regular basis, it probably becomes a whole lot easier. But the, that's that's very much easier said than done because I don't know how they get there. You know, I, I think that... The line I really would have liked to see them stick with all last night, and of course we saw nothing from them, but 
I do like that. I'll call it an all-star line for lack of a better term, but like, you know, fully loading your top line with your three quote unquote best guys, Kadri, Huberdeau and Lindholm. Like, I like that when you, when you're completely running out of ideas and you know, then, then I understand that you'd want to try something like that. I would like to see them go back to that more, um, you know, load up that one line and just, I mean, there's just, there's too much talent on that line for it to not eventually click. But the problem that we're having, I think, well, that the coaching staff is having is that they've never been able to find, it goes back to the very first interview I had with Daryl Sutter last summer, like two summers ago. Mm -hmm. I need to find out if Huberto is a cadre guy or a Lindholm guy. I remember him saying that. And we clung to that sentence for the longest yeah, time. Yeah. And we all tried to figure it out. And they still, we still don't know the answer. And maybe the answer is, He's both. Put them all on the same line. He's got to fit with somebody, doesn't he? I don't know. I get that they're out of ideas. That would be the number one move I would go to right now and then let some of these younger guys form some of the other lines. The uh, what, what did you make? First of all, can you confirm to me, and I'm not, I'm not um, excluding myself from that. So, like, as, as reporters or, or uh, journalists or hosts or whatever we call ourselves um, – do we not love when players swear so then we can then swear on Twitter? Like that that's that's one of our great joys, is it not? <laughs> Pat, that's so awesome that you said that. <laughs> I totally agree. It gives you carte blanche and I just take you a little bit behind the curtain. When I file my column, every time I use the the full word. Yeah. Every single time. And I always hope that my editor is not reading my stuff or doesn't catch it and lets it go because to me when an athlete's willing to say that publicly out loud, I feel like it's often worthy of being reproduced in the same fashion. I get that you can just put the word S and three dashes and everybody's following along, but it's not as powerful. So to your point, I love tweeting that last night. And, and, and it's so funny that you thought of the same thing because it really does. It's, it's a guilty pleasure. Unfortunately, my editor caught it and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and dutifully you know, changed it. Uh, and I get it. I understand why, but I, I do like getting away with it on Twitter. That's very funny, buddy. The, uh, well, cause I, the reason I thought about it, cause I was like, damn it, I'm not in there. I can't do it. I, I saw, I saw everybody cause, cause Matty Rose texted me. He goes, uh, before you play, uh, Zadorov and Lindholm, they both say this word. I'm like, oh, really? I, I wasn't in there. I don't get to tweet it. <laughs> yeah. And poor, poor Brendan Parker. We were laughing about it today at the practice, you know, him doing the in-house stuff. And, and streaming online and uh, uh, yeah. you know he's watching all this live and it's like oh oh boy okay uh, oh Apologies yeah, there's the another one there. yeah and, and and we there's a delay so when we're walking out of the dressing room I'm watching them play at about you know a minute behind and uh, I feel like tapping them on the shoulder going eh, right about here you're gonna wanna <laughs> gonna wanna mute this but anyway it's it is what it is it's kind of kind of fun for us how uh what what did you what did you make of whether it's Zadorov and and he's kind of turned into an unofficial spokesman for us, um, Lindholm, uh, just what we've what what Blake Coleman had to say after Tuesday's loss. What what have you made of of, of what we've heard from some different guys here over the last forty eight hours or so? Well, I I love the honesty and uh, I I sense that Zadorov's taking a little bit of heat behind closed doors because he it was categorized that he was calling people out but he didn't use names, but he was kind of suggesting guys weren't on board. 
And he's tried to clarify that since last night. He tried to kind of clarify yep. it and say, hey, I didn't really throw anybody under the bus. I didn't name names. And even Coleman tried to almost, you know, correct him and and, and help him a little bit the other day. And and that's just that's just hockey. You know, the the, the hockey world has always been so beige. And I, I admire uh, hockey players because you ask them about a question about them individually and they'll always answer in the collective we. And I always appreciate that. There's a culture in hockey where you never kind of talk about yourself. You talk about the team. Because if you talk about yourself, you're kind of ostracized in the room. And guys like Matthew Kachuk over the years were kind of looked at sideways by a bunch of teammates. Like, man, you talk a lot about yourself. You know, you should just talk only about the team. And Matthew was cognizant of it, but was always lumped into that category, right or wrong. Zadorov is now, I think, the same thing. And I'm not saying this because I've spoken to players off the record who are telling me, man, Z better shut up. I'm not hearing that. I'm just saying that I know how the hockey culture works. And when you kind of are seen to be throwing somebody right. else off the bus, then then you're really looked down upon. But I think it's great that they're doing, that he's doing that. I think it's great that all these guys are being pretty harsh on themselves and they deserve it. They should be harsh on themselves. The fans have made it pretty clear that they're not holding anything back. They're booing. They're saying everything they can on Twitter and on the radio. Uh, I, there's it, All I could say at the end of the day is they deserve it. They really deserve it. Like the, the, the way that they have played this year, um, they know they deserve it and they're taking it like 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 champions like they're they're acknowledging there's one guy in there that's not though do you know who that there's one player who just kind of brushes it all off and says you know oh i know who it is he'll just yeah you know i i i've just not had some good puck luck and you know i could have four or five goals right now i'm just not getting any luck and you know you just got to keep on doing the same thing and none of it seems to be bothering him and it's that approach that I think bothers the hell out of all the fans. We're talking. We're think, talking about Kadri, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious to me. Like he, you know, the other day it was very stark to me. Zadorov came out and was like, "Here it is. I'm pissed off. This has to get better." And you know, not everyone's pulling in the same direction. And then out comes Kadri, and it's like a lot of shrugging, like physical shrugging. Yeah, you know. It's not getting some luck right now and not getting some bounces and uh, just got to keep doing what you're doing. And I get that he's not panicking. I get that he's like, hey, I've been through all this before and I can get out of this. But I also think that it it really rubs people the wrong way inside the room and outside the room because it, it almost looks like you don't care. Do you think I'm wrong? I I don't. And I was thinking about that after listening to him on Tuesday morning because I, I really, like, I, I think I still... Even though it has been a, a really large issue for the last, I don't know, 50 games or so going back to last year, I still believe that at the time signing Kadri was like, I, I still think it was a good signing and a good addition because I still think there's some fire left. I still think there's a great deal of ability there. I've always been a giant Nazem Kadri appreciator as a player. I've always felt he's one of the more underrated underappreciated players in the league. So they go out and get them. They need some edge and, and it still has to be there. Like I, I just, I don't know how they get 
him to get to that point where he's a little bit more on the edge and a little bit more, you know, some people think it's because he's won a Stanley Cup and, and so the edge is worn off. Or some people believe it's because he's, you know, now 32, 33 years old, whatever it is. And I, I don't or know. The money. What, or the money. Or, or the money. He's yeah. got his contract and, and he's set for the rest of his career. I don't know if all of those are true. Any of those, I don't know. But I do think that the at times seeming nonchalance, even if even if that's not how he's intending it, or even if he's not nonchalant about it, I do think that it is perceived by some many as nonchalance. And and when you're a passionate fan of your group, you you don't want that nonchalance, which I I fully understand. I I do too. And so it wasn't lost on me this the the difference between Sidorov and him. And I also think that we almost fall back on cliches because we all say the same thing about Nazem Kadri. He's got to play on the edge. He's got to, you know, he's got to show that bite and that grit. I, I, I think that's gone. I haven't seen that in, since the Calgary Flames signed him. Like I know he was really good the first 20 games, but he didn't show anything. He wasn't on the edge. He was just really good offensively. Um, I don't, I don't believe that to be the case anymore with him. Like, I think that's gone out of his game. So I think we need to stop talking about how he has to play on the edge and have that bite and show emotion because quite honestly, the fight the other night that he got in is the first time I've seen it all year. Yeah. I mean, it, it, all year and a half or whatever, since he's been here, Yeah, that, that was, I immediately looked it up for the broadcast and it was indeed his first fight as a Calgary flame, you know, for a guy who's had 14 fights in the NHL prior to that, for him to have his first one, like more than a year in, it's kind of interesting to me. Uh, I get it. When guys are older, they want to fight less. I get it. Also, he's not a big guy. He's got to pick his 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 opponents quite pick selectively for sure. Yeah, and and he picked a you know not a bad one the other day against Sillinger, and he held his own. And when he turned to the bench and screamed, I thought, and I remember saying on the broadcast, like, "Wow, I'm interested to see where this goes from here for the rest of tonight and moving forward." And I see nothing. I I, I see nothing. So you cite one example to me, other than that fight the other day, of him showing edge, and I'll be surprised. Like, I don't even see him arguing with refs anymore. You know, like, he did it a couple times last year, like, in terms of showing emotion. I just see him going out there and 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 not doing the things that we're, we think we're supposed to see from Nazem yeah. Kadri. It's, it's a fair point. Like, I remember it. it's not all that long ago that we're talking about him um, being a real catalyst, emotional catalyst for the avalanche en route to winning a cup and the rivalry with Bennington and all of that. Like, yeah. that's not that long ago. And, you know, we're not, it's not like we're eons removed from his time in Toronto where, yeah, he went overboard by doing the throat slashing gesture to Mark Giordano. But it's, it's like that. I'm not, I'm not saying that you should do that, that, that gesture. No, but like that's heat of the moment, emotional dialed in of Nazim Kadri. We've seen so many instances uh-huh. of it before. So we know it's there or has been there, but I'm with you. We, we have not seen it in abundance since he's been with the Flames. Yeah, and to me, the number one thing he could be doing, because I do, you know, I, I think two games ago, I thought he was one of their better players on the ice. Him and Coleman were the two most noticeable forwards. Agreed. Uh, against against, the, against Rangers. the Rangers. Yep. Yeah. And then I, I think that last night, you know, everybody looked awful, but, you know, what, what can he do differently other than just try to make plays? And I think he's still out there trying to be creative and picking his spots, but... You know, what can you do differently? Well, fully immerse yourself and engage yourself. Throw some more hits. Um, 
just get more into the game, into the teeth of the game, or as into the fabric of the game, as Trio always used to say. I, I, I otherwise he, he's, you know, he's just relying on his offensive skill, and he's got plenty of it, no, no doubt about it. But it's not meshing with anybody else. So, what can you do differently? Well, I say expand your horizons and go back to what you were when you were really successful in Colorado and in Toronto. Like, yeah. just go out there and just be more of a beast. You know, go into beast mode more often. We just don't see it. Uh, Eric Francis, Pat Steinberg along with you. The Eric Francis Hour well underway on this Friday. And the Eric Francis Hour brought to you, as always, by our friends at Horse Racing Alberta. Live Thoroughbred Racing is back every Saturday and Sunday at Century Downs Racetrack and Casino. Post time, 1245. Visit thehorses.com. Must be 18 plus. Please play responsibly. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. The Eric Francis Hour as we continue. Eric from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca this hour on Flames Talk. Steinberg along with you, too. Um, We uh, heard some bleeps from the Flames to kick off the hour, and then franchise that gets to take on the Oilers. Flames aren't the only ones swearing in front of microphones. What's the dialogue in here among you guys, you know, holding each other accountable as a group, those sorts of things, Darnell? Yeah, we got to be better, like, to a man. That's as simple as that. Um, That's the dialogue. Everyone knows, you know, it's easy to point fingers and whatnot. I mean, we got everyone just looking in the mirror at this point and be a whole lot better. (laughs) So that's Darnell Nurse after, uh, after the Edmonton Oilers' most recent loss. 3-0 3-0 to the Rangers on Thursday. And now it's the Heritage Classic. It's Sunday's game on national television with the entire national media there. And, you know, all of a sudden there's whispers of Jay Woodcroft's job security. You know, we know what the temperature is in this market about Lindholm and Hannafin and what those contracts might look like or what those trades might look like. You've got Friedman and Hockey Night and you've got Sarah Valley and you've got all these big-time national names descending on our province for this event. I'm quite uh, I'm quite, quite curious what the next 48 hours or so looks like. Yeah, I'm not sure either one of them wants to be in the spotlight right now. Yeah, <laughs> I right? They, I think they would prefer to quietly go about their business trying to get out of this tailspin. It is almost comical. Again, you can either laugh or cry if you're a diehard fan, but it's 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 almost comical that... We're in this situation. I mean, I I can't imagine anyone fathomed that both these teams would be in this situation at the beginning of the year. Um, I think everyone would have had their guess if one team was going to be struggling, which one it would have been. But I don't think anyone fathomed it could be two teams. So, yeah, lots of storylines. I mean, it, it makes our job easier. There's lots of controversy and finger-pointing and, and swearing on the radio, and it's all great stuff. It's, it's lovely, but it's, uh, you know... It's a whole. I always say to people, it, it was the hardest team I ever had to cover was when I first moved here and covered Doug Flutie with the Stampeders because all they ever did was win. It was almost right. boring. They they just kept winning. Twenty eight thousand people would show up every game, and every week we'd calculate what sort of pace Doug Flutie was on to shatter another record in the CFL, and then rinse and repeat the next week because then Alan Pitts was going to break some record or Dave Sapunjas or Vince Danielson. Anyway, that goes way back. But my point is. It's a it's a whole lot easier and more entertaining uh, as a as a media person, but also as a fan when there's a lot going on in terms of controversy around your team, and uh, there's tons of it this weekend. 
Um, how important is it for you? Like, if we if we look at just the Flames, like how how big a win could this be? There's a lot of talk about, geez, you win this game and maybe you write your season. I'm not as convinced on that just because of of some of the larger systemic issues, but it's pretty important to stop the bleeding here. If you stop the, flames, the bleeding right? is the term, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, and I, I I'm. When we're chatting to Huska today, I'm thinking, yeah, it'd be the team that wins is going to feel a whole lot better about themselves and maybe exhale for a day or two. But think about how bad it's going to be for the team that loses. Like that is just going to be, it's hard to fathom that in either city, the temperature could be turned up even, even higher. And, and, and it's going to happen in one of the two cities. I don't even care if you're losing a shootout and play really well. The fact that you don't get the full two points is going to be devastating for one of the two fan bases. So yeah. Let me ask you this. Yeah. We were having this conversation with a bunch of us today down at the at the practice rink, and and you weren't there, but do you think McDavid's going to play? Like, I think that when they put out there that he's going to be out a week or two, you can read that one of two ways. One is I can't imagine he's not going to play. Like, this guy's going to want to play, not just because it's the national spotlight, but – but most, mostly because he wants to stop the bleeding for his team and turn this thing around. I mean, right. they think they can win a cup. The second thing is the other way you could look at it is they said one to two weeks he's going to be out, but there's really no chance he's going to be back in one week, which would be Sunday. But they said that so that there was still a chance they could still sell some tickets with the hope that Connor McDavid would be on the ice. How do you read it? Um, Good question. I because because the Oilers have been like when it's Connor McDavid, it's like a state secret. They've got they've got suitcases handcuffed to people. <laughs> like it's like remember remember that knee injury he sustained in Game eighty two against. Oh the, yeah, and that like nobody knew that he was going. They, the Oilers are making this documentary about it, but nobody knew this was going on until That's the good, season yeah. starts. And now all of a sudden, this forty-two part <laughs> documentary about the amazing like they keep it so under lock and key. And so yeah, they're like he'll be gone one to two weeks, and you're like, what the hell does that mean? And now he's out skating again. So I my my read is that he really wants to play just because he wants to play as oh, soon as course. possible. That's what my read is. Um, I do. I don't think it's unfair to wonder if they're like, oh, we got a ticket sales aren't so great here, so let's really make sure we don't rule him out of this thing. But I, my read is that he just really, really wants to play. The question then becomes: is for me, is that the smart thing to do? Because yeah. it is. It's not a controlled environment the same way it would be at Rogers Place when you've got your like. It's it's a different world when you're playing outdoors, right? And there are way more variables you just can't control. And I just. Do you want to, even if it's a, an extra 0.72% risk, do you want to expose the most important player on the planet to that if you're the Oilers? I, that's, that's my big question now. If he's ready, is it smart for the Oilers to play him? And I, I don't know the right answer to that. Yeah, I don't either. I, I, the fact that he skated the previous two days, I haven't heard if he'd skated today, but the fact that he did you know, really makes me think that we probably will see him at least practice tomorrow on the outdoor ice just to see how he feels out there on it. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean he'll be in the game. But anyway, it's it's one of the many intriguing things as we we go into the game. Another thing that I'm really intrigued about is the, is the attendance because uh, tickets were so expensive and outdoor games 
quite frankly, I have no problem with them. I think they're great celebrations of the game. In every city they go to, it, it is a celebration of the game. They have Fan Fest, and it's yep. wonderful. And little kids remember it for their life, and it's really a novelty. But in terms of pure viewing experience, there's nothing worse in hockey than going to watch an outdoor game. Not just because the temperature is ridiculous oftentimes, but because the sight lines are horrific. You know, it's just not what we're used to. You're a million miles away from the ice. Like, I don't see the appeal why you'd want to go. Um, and then when I saw the ticket prices, because there was a part of me thinking, ah, maybe I'll get some tickets for my son and he'll come up and, and my wife will take him or whatever. When I saw the prices, there was no chance I was even considering it. <laughs> And then you factor in the fact that I just don't think it's that great an experience either. So I'm fascinated to see. I don't think it's going to be anywhere close to a sellout. What are you hearing? There's still tickets available. I don't think it's going to be jammed to the rafters either. Yeah. I, I, The one thing I keep on saying is that if you've never been to one, I really enjoy them. I think be, just because they're so unique and different. You're, you're not wrong about the actual, you know, anybody who went to McMahon in 2011 and uh, froze their behinds off watching that game or anybody who made the trek to Regina four years ago for the game against the Jets, it's, it's not the world's greatest sight line. You're right. Because you are so far away, it's, it's, it's far more like you're, um, you know. You got, watch the game on a screen. You watch the screen more than the, the actual play. It be, because it is harder to see a lot of things. You're, you're, mm-hmm. There's nobody up on the glass, and the, the front row doesn't start until, you know, 30 meters away from the, from the boards. It's a very different experience. But I just, because it's a spectacle, because of all yeah. that goes into it, I think the, the actual experience is worth it, and everything that surrounds it is worth it. Um, but, yeah, the... I don't think we're talking about a sellout either. I think we're talking about um, th- there's going to be some empty seats. It's going to be larger than a normal crowd, no doubt about it. But, yeah, there's still tickets available right now. The league is still pushing tickets being available right now. It's um, and, and it's weird. It's a weird time for the NHL to do an event like this in Canada. I mean, you take a look at attendance figures across the league, outside of uh, – sorry, across the country, outside of Toronto, and there's uh, – Winnipeg's going through it. Edmonton's going through it. We're going through it here. Ottawa's going through it. Like the attendance figures have been down and filling buildings in this country has been difficult of late for all kinds of different factors. So just timing wise, it probably isn't the best time to have an expensive-ish event in Alberta or in Canada. Well, in a lot of, I mean, the, you know, someone was talking to me about this down in the States too and just the mortgage rates, you know. Yeah, the, the additional money that everyone's got to spend or most people have to spend every month just on their mortgage, it's got to come from somewhere. And in a lot of cases, it comes from, you know, your your, uh, your, your discretionary fun, spending. Yeah, your fun jar, whatever you want to call it. And so and uh, I actually thought I heard a very interesting theory when I was in Buffalo and from one of the local beat reporters there. And he was saying that, hey, a ton of people from Buffalo went earlier this year to London, England to go watch the Bills play. And that costs a ton of money, obviously, and that's really going to hurt the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, that's a much smaller market. It's a much it's a blue collar market, and the sports fan pool that you're drawing from is similar from the Bills and the and, and the Sabres. So I get it. I see it, and he he thinks that's going to directly affect the huh. Sabres in a big big way. So there are lots of reasons why uh, you could see attendance starting to sag. Uh, and on top of all of it, I, I just think the TV product, and this has nothing to do with me being with Sportsnet or anything. I mean, just in general, the way that sports is covered 
it's so good right now and you get everything you want you get every replay you get all the analysis um yeah you got to listen to idiots like me talk sometimes but other than that it's a it's a it's a it's a much it's a great experience and and you don't have to deal with all the you know the money and the hassles of going to the game now i still don't think there's anything that beats going to a live hockey game like i still think it's the greatest thing and i love it and i and you talk to any young kid who goes and it's just a magical experience um but for adults who who have season tickets or who do it a lot i can see why they're going to do it a little bit less moving forward um just as we uh, wrap up uh this hour i want to we'd like to do a little story time and we didn't we didn't prep this necessarily going in but oh boy how many so you you've been to how many outdoor games you know i i think i've been to five uh, I, I went to the original one in Edmonton and okay. I covered that. Okay. And, and I went to the, the the one in Regina, of course. I went to the one in Calgary. Uh, last year I went to a couple. Of, well, it was last year, I think. I was in Nashville. Uh, they had an outdoor game, and it's funny because when someone invited me to go to it and just go as a fan and enjoy it, I didn't even know what was happening. Like <laughs> someone said, "Hey, you want to go to Nashville?" And I said, "Yes." And, uh, and then they said, well, yeah, it'll be a great game. And I'm like, oh, we're going for a reason. I just thought we were going to Nashville because it's the best. But he's, you know, he's like, no, no, no. The outdoor game is coming up. I'm like, oh, okay. So it's one of those, if the tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to see it. Like outdoor games are just, they're big in their market and nowhere else. Yes. Yeah. And so, and in this case, they're big in this province and nowhere else. So um, anyway, I, I, the one story I always remember from the original, uh, outdoor game when we walked from the dressing rooms after the game up to the press box which is kind of on the concourse area at commonwealth stadium it was so cold that day that i remember stopping and being just mesmerized fascinated by this science experiment that was that was unknowingly being conducted by thousands of edmontonians all the discarded beers and rum and cokes and everything that had either a third or a quarter or a half or whatever of, of, of booze still in them, they were all like pure slush. <laughs> and this is like less than an hour after the game ended, but they just left them, you know, on top of, you know, just all over the place. And the, you, you didn't see one that was pure liquid. It was all either slush or getting close to freezing. And that takes a long time usually <laughs> when it's alcohol, because I don't think it ever completely freezes. Um, but it happened so quickly because it was that damn cold. The uh, the one because I I did not get an opportunity to go to that one. The ones that I've been to uh, both involved the Flames. So I was at the one here at McMahon Stadium, which is what we're going on. It's twenty twenty three now, so that's twelve and a half more than twelve and a half years ago. The game mm-hmm. between Calgary and Montreal, and then it was four years ago yesterday with the uh, anniversary of the one in Regina. The the one in Calgary, I'll always remember just because I was an idiot. Um, I was be- I was an adult by age only in my 20s and like just an absolute idiot did not dress for the like my I just ridiculous it's like look at the temperature before you go outside oh, no. you donkey so I spent most of it um I was like gotta watch some of it from rinkside but then I was in the press box where it was warm uh but the one the one in Regina I I'll it was always, magic it was re- it really was it was it was magic the jerseys the stadium, the fact that it was neutral site, you had people from Regina, you had people driving from Winnipeg, you had people driving from Calgary, and it started snowing like 40 yeah. minutes before the game. It really was. It was a it was a really magical event, and I that's the one that I'll always look back and say, that's that's the way these games should be. It was really neat. It was like a real-life snow globe. 
Like yeah. you really felt like you were in a snow globe inside the stadium. It was just swirling and it was big fluffy flakes. It was absolute magic. And it takes you back to one of those very first ones. Actually, I think it was the very first one in America, which was the Sidney Crosby game. That's right. It ended, or, or was that, I'm not, I don't think it was the one where he got hurt, hurt or maybe it was the one, but it was a shootout. I think the Sabres were involved. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm mixing them up, but it, it snowed like crazy on one of those, one of the first ones. And I'm like, that's what it should be. Yep. Now, I just want to remind, I know we got to go, but you know, don't forget that one in Calgary, um, there was the Calgary Flames. Ken King, I know, was told me they worked very hard. They really wanted to have it west of the city of Calgary, like in a big field with the in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains right. or at Lake Louise. And logistically, you just can't pull it off in Lake Louise with all the things you have to bring into the national park. But uh, how that one at was it Lake Tahoe that they had? That's right. During COVID, that was that was so amazing. And, and I would love for them to find a way to do it, the next one in Alberta. And it's going to be a handful of years, obviously, before they even consider another one here. But I would love for them to incorporate it more into the mountains in some way. I don't know. You're doing Jasper. Yeah. I, I don't know. But that would be a dream for me to go and see it really in the middle of the mountains. That would be cool. It would be super neat. Yeah. Um, as we uh, start to wrap things up, uh, we are brought to you, as always, by Horse Racing Alberta. And am I, uh, am I correct? We're coming towards the end of the uh, live thoroughbred racing part of yep. the season, correct? This weekend. Yeah, this weekend's the last live, uh, live racing, yeah. So uh, you've got one more opportunity to get out to Century Downs Racetrack and Casino Saturday and Sunday with a 12.45 post time. Uh, they br we bring you uh, the Eric Francis Hour for the, horse for the Horses Alberta and Horse Racing Alberta every single week. Uh, franchise, we'll see you in Edmonton, buddy. Thank you, my man. Yeah, dress warm this time. I will. I'll be a pseudo-adult <laughs> this time. Thank you, buddy. Cheers, bud. Uh, Horse Racing Alberta. Visit thehorses.com. Must be 18 plus. Please play responsibly.